Hi, I'm BJ, and this is the Arcane Alienist Podcast. Hey everybody, Um, in this episode I'm going to recap both of my ongoing Temple of Elemental Evil uh, campaigns, the one using 5th edition Dungeons and Dragons and another one using Old School Essentials Advanced Fantasy. Um, The the parties have once again sort of gotten to the same point in the adventure, so I feel like I can compare um, how each... uh, each different thing went, uh, each party's experience with, with the Moat House, um, the first level of the Moat House, and uh, the Village of Homlet. So that's what we'll do. I've got a Carl from Carl Rodriguez talking about uh, the, the composition of the party in that Old School Essentials campaign, um, which I'll play and then I'll get into the recaps. But um, first, let's, uh, let's, uh, let's hear a word from... Our sponsor. We've all heard the solo podcasts. We know the names of the legendary anchorites. But now the Hydra of Discord, the polyphony of podcasting quarrels, join together into a single podcast. Cerebrovore, a bi-weekly show where a rotating cast of podcasters discuss a variety of tabletop role-playing topics. Cerebrovore, it'll devour your mind. So you can find Cerebravore both, uh, it's here on Anchor or most of the other um, podcatchers that pick up Anchor podcasts. Uh, so it's pretty easy to find. But <clears throat> we've also got it up on YouTube. There's no video, it's just a static image of the cover art. But if you prefer to listen on YouTube, you can find it there as well. Um, anyway, interesting panel discussions. It's kind of a rotating panel, I think. Um, you know, not all of us are on every episode. I think Jason Connerly of Nerds RPG Variety Cast, Carl Rodriguez of Geomologist mm-hmm. Presents, and, and myself are kind of the most frequent uh, panel members, but we got some other people in there. Uh, Arlen Walker from Fly from Pelham's Wasteland, Joe Richter of Hindsightless. Um, coming up uh, this, this week, there will be uh, Daniel Norton of the Bandits Keep on there. Uh, and I believe Rob... From Confessions of a Wee Timorous Bushi, also known as Mignon, he has uh, he has been on one episode that I wasn't able to to make it for, um, and it's biweekly. We we do sort of a we do sort of a um, a topical discussion every other week, and then we have filler episodes where we're responding to calls or just sitting around. Like this week's is just me and Joe and Jason sitting around, stream of conscious BS and about movies and TV shows and games and comic books and things like that. So, uh, so be sure. So, we're trying to get something out every week. Every other week, it's sort of a, a purposeful, uh, focused discussion, and then, and, and then the, the filler weeks it varies from a little bit on what we do. But uh, be sure and check it out. It's a lot of fun. Hey, BJ. This is Carl. Just a little bit about our party in OSE. Um, so, a couple of us are related, and in fact, we could all potentially be related. Uh, the four adventurers. So, for sure. Um, Dude and Retlaw have established that they are half-brothers. 
uh, probably through probably through the Elven lineage. Um, maybe, maybe. Um, yeah, I guess that's what would make sense. Through the Elven lineage and potentially Xanthir could be related to Dude through the human lineage and perhaps uh, perhaps Raven is also a uh, half-brother of them, but uh, we haven't, or Arlen hasn't let us know, or maybe he is and doesn't want to let us know. And we wouldn't know because of, you know, time and stuff for elves is different than for humans. So that's uh, our party. Thank you, Carl Rodriguez of the Geomologist Presents podcast. Um, yeah, Redlaw is a half giant. So I kind of assumed he was related to dude through the human side. I, I figured he was half human, half giant. But hey, whatever you guys want to do, I guess. <laughs> But yeah, everybody could be potentially related. Um, but then again, since they're all sort of followers of the old faith, you know, kind of granola, crunchy, hippie, uh, tree-hugging guys, um, aren't they all brothers regardless of their circumstances of birth? <laughs> anyway, yeah, thanks for a recap of the group. And we'll move on to now a recap of their... Exploits in the Moat House. So this may retread a little ground from the, the previous time I did a, a a recap of Temple of Elemental Evil, uh, which was the episode titled Welcome to Homlet. Hope you survived the experience. <laughs> so for the OSE game, uh, they had approached the Moat House, having been sort of commissioned by uh, Sir Rufus, who is the captain of the or commander of the watch, in Hamlet to, uh, to, you know, look around for trouble as adventurers do. Uh, and they, they hear about this ruined moat house. Uh, they took with them, um, some people they met in the inn, a, a kind of out of work caravan guard, um, by, uh, what was her name? I'm drawing a blank on her name. Give me a second to check my notes. Zira, and uh, Spugnoir, who is a magic user who agrees to go with him if he can, um, if, if he can uh, have first shot at any magic items they find, of course. I, th I think I've already mentioned all this. Anyway, they encountered the toads in the moat around, and poor Zira was dead, so they went back to town to, to recuperate a little bit, and... Um, discovered, you know, in arranging for her burial that she was in possession of one of these smooth stones with the, an eye etched on it that all the bandits have been carrying around. Um, so they go back to the moat house. Um, they, they choose to enter through. They, they find, notice a place in a collapsed wall where some stones have cleverly been placed in the moat to make sort of a little uh, causeway if you, if, you, if you pay attention to where you step. And they manage to catch this group of bandits off guard and even though they, they took a little bit of damage in the fight, uh, they, they were able to prevail. Three of the bandits escaped. Um, they knew not where. In the room where the bandits had um, been hiding out, they found a secret passage. that had been, It was very clear that the bandits had not been aware it was there because of the dust and issues and found a stairwell going down. But they chose to explore the rest of the, the moat house before they went down into the to, to the layer beneath. Um 
they first chose the left-hand wing of the manor house and uh, encountered some uh, um, a number of things. They <laughs> they fought a, a giant tick that jumped out of the chimney of one of one of the rooms onto um, onto uh, Retlaw, the the half giant barbarian. And he began trying to bash it against the wall, just shoulder bash it since it was kind of attached to him and trying to drain blood. Um, and they were able to defeat that also with a little bit of help from the other party members attacking it. Uh, they also, in, in a much larger room that appeared to probably one time been the barracks for the, the soldiers in this moat house, um, were set upon by a giant lizard, which they also managed to, to fight off. Um they were at this point fairly beaten up, so they decided to uh, leave, go back to town and rest for a day, and come back. This time they entered through the front gate. Um, saw no evidence of any bandits about. It looked like there may have been some foot traffic through the courtyard while they were gone. Uh, but there was one surviving tower. They they went in there, and of course, uh, Brett Law. This is the first in again, and a giant spider drops from the ceiling, a giant black widow spider, and bites him. Uh, they're able to, again, he, as before, just slams his shoulder into the wall to, to attack the spider. And they, they killed the spider fairly easy, but he was poisoned. Fortunately, as a barbarian, he has a, an ability to neutralize poison by gathering up herbs and, you know, just in the general vicinity and grasses and plants and stuff. And so because... The poison takes a turn to kill somebody. Um, he has enough time to, uh, which, you know, turn is, is um, six rounds. He, he has time to gather up, look around, grab some plants and, and stuff from around the general vicinity, make a little, whip up a little concoction to uh, to um, treat the poison. So he, he was fine uh, after that. They rested for a little bit and then went back into the uh, the front door of the, of the, the manor house and they find themselves in a, a large banquet hall. They they had seen it before when they had kind of looked up the door when the, the ba three bandits escaped. Um, so, so they had actually passed through this this kind of big room once before on their way to the to the left hand wing of the the manor house where they fought the tick and the giant lizard. They noticed another stairwell going down uh, in the corner of the room, but uh, instead of, they decided to go ahead and finish and investigate the uh, the other the right hand wing of the. The, the manor house, uh, and there they, they find a room full of bats, um, but are able to sort of carefully, um, they're kind of alerted when they open the door, the smell of guano coming out, so they, they're not, they don't, they're able to carefully do it and not disturb the bats, very carefully search the room, um, and then they, uh, they, um, proceeded to the end and found another kind of large room, uh, where part of the wall had collapsed, and as they're poking around in the room, uh, a giant snake emerges from the, the rubble and attacks, but they're able to, to defeat the, the snake as well. Um, <clears throat> everybody's still in pretty good shape. Um, poking around in the rubble around the giant snake, they found a, a very valuable dagger. Uh, it's an ordinary dagger, but the, the handle is encrusted with jewels, and Yep, with with OSE rewarding most of the XP for treasure and not um, monster kills, that they, they actually got a whole lot more XP for the the dagger than they did for killing the snake. <laughs> they also found a, a magic shield in the 
stomach of the giant lizard the day before. Um, so they, through um, some sort of careful exploration and, and poking around, uh, were able to uh, survive the, the first level of the moat house, and they decided to go down the, the secret passage. And they go down the stairs, and they find a, a, what appears to be a dead-end chamber, but in looking around, they can see there are secret passages um, to the left and the right of, of, of the, the, where they come out on the stairwell. So they've got a couple of choices about where they might go next time. And so they, they um, that was how things went. Again, with OSE, we're, we're doing the, the sort of the standard rules where it's side-based initiative. You roll for surprise. You roll for initiative. Um, and then, then each side, uh, you go through the order of, of you know, movement, missile, magic, melee. Uh, and it's going pretty smooth. Everybody's got that down pretty pretty pat. Um, and uh, they're making good use of their resources with um you know dude's dude the uh, the, the is a is a ranger cleric is played by Carl Rodriguez so he's he's using his spells very carefully and they're not you know they they backtracked when they've been too wounded to sort of be able to heal up from from uh the skirmishes they've had and what town is a short walk so they've they've done that so now they're going to uh to explore whatever lies below when we pick back up here in a week or so. So for the fifth edition group, um, they had again had encountered the frogs um, and didn't have much of a problem with them. Recall they had picked up a, a trick. The uh, the gnome artificer had wanted a dog, so he'd gone in and found a farmer he could buy a mastiff from, and the the farmer sort of foisted his daughter upon the party as well, you know, with the promise to, to, uh, somebody has to marry her, um, <laughs> uh, which is an old, um, uh, plot line from the Temple of Elemental Evil, uh, video, video game, console, uh, PC game. But, uh, of course she don't want to marry anybody. She just wants to get away from home and become an adventurer. It turns out she's a pretty competent warrior. She's trained with the town militia, uh, Leisha is her name, and so they um, they uh, you know survive the frogs pretty well, and uh, go right through the front gate, and they go straight for that tower, and get attacked by the spider. Um, and I believe I re- recapped this last time, but hey, we'll do the whole first level of the moat house here. Uh, the monk Roland went down from from the spider, um, went into death saves, but they were able to stabilize him. Uh, of course, we were using a house rule where when you drop below zero and come back, you've got a level of exhaustion. So he comes back, they heal him up, but he's got a level of exhaustion. They decide to press on into the into the moat house, through the front door, into the banquet hall, which is empty. And I was kind of rolling dice, kind of, you know, off screen to, to see how the you know, the bandits were aware of him, but were waiting to see what they would do, hiding in their, their chamber in the door at the back of the, the room and uh they ignore they didn't they they noticed the door but didn't open it or inspect it closely. Uh they noticed the stairwell going down as well from from that room. But again they chose I, I've rode the around the moat house a few times and for some reason everybody always chooses this left hand wing before the right hand wing. So um they uh didn't really look at the fireplace closely enough to get attacked by the giant tick, but they did go in the room with the giant lizard and had to face that. Uh, 
Um, they decided to give the magic shield that was in the lizard's belly to Lucia since she's the only kind of straight up warrior in the group. Um, uh, even though she's a, an NPC, uh, but then coming back out, they got swarmed by rats. And again, um, actually, I think they got swarmed by rats first and, uh, the monk went, when monk goes down again, I mean, we, we, th- we thought that the rogue Kane was about to be, you know, he, he kind of got separated from the group and, uh, swarmed by, by these giant rats coming in kind of out of the walls and the floorboards, but the party managed to get to him and extract him. But in the process, uh, Roland goes down again. <laughs> so they decided it was time to go back to town. So they, they retreat, they go back to town, they again rest up. And then when they return, for, and this is an, now we're starting. This is a couple weeks later. We started a new game session. Uh, Arben's player, the Arben is the halfling bard player, wasn't there, so they decided his character would stay back in town. Um, but the rest of the group uh, presses on, and again they they, they enter by the same uh, same route through the gate and then through the front door, and then they veer to the right hand wing of the manor house uh, again and encounter the bats, but don't really, you know, the smell tips them off and they're very careful, just like the, the OSC party. Again, they encounter the giant snake and fight the giant snake. Um, but what had happened was, because they had not encountered the bandits, again, I was rolling for what the bandits were doing kind of behind the screen. Um, and I rolled per- stealth checks and perception checks for everybody to make sure, and the, the dice just totally betrayed the players <laughs> in the session. The bandits were able to sneak into the banquet hall and set up positions to ambush them when they came back up the hallway. And so the first guy up the hallway triggers the ambush. And, of course, we've got, um, you know, nine or ten bandits all armed with crossbows. And they some of them have spread out across the room. Others are kind of t- partial book up, but cover behind the banquet tables that are in the middle of the room. Uh, and it just... Um, it kind of devolved from there. You know, the, the wizard and the party tried to step up and use an area of effect spell, um, and it, but the bandits were spread enough. He was able to get a group of them and sign them in the middle of the room, but the ones on the peripheries were able to shoot him, and he went down. Uh, Kane, the rogue, um, uh, was kind of the first one through the room. Uh, Trick, the artificer, used the grease spell to kind of create an area of difficult terrain that causes all, some of the bandits to slip and fall. But Kane was close by, and he had to go into the grease to try to confront one of them, and things didn't go well for him. Um, they they managed to take him down, um, and one by one, they, they took everybody out. Um, uh, people failing death saves. <laughs> and it, Roland, the monk, could, could if, you know, if he hit a bandit, he could take him out pretty easily but he was having a hard time he just kept again the dice betrayed everybody he was gonna have a hard time hitting until finally he was with just a few hit points left surrounded and the bandits had been telling them from the first sign of ambush surrender i mean they they shot kind of one volley of of crossbow bolts and then were like surrender everybody surrender drop your weapons but the party decided to try to fight and you know had the dice gone just a little bit differently they probably could have you know one of the keys to the osc groups winning against these guys not only by keeping them taken them by surprise because they took some hits too and there's some exchanges back and forth was they managed to kill a couple of bandits and start causing morale checks which isn't a standard rule in 5th edition but I do use 
I keep an eye on morale as a concept, you know, so that after a couple of, you get a large group of foes and, and a couple of them get hurt or one of them dies, I start wondering if the other ones are thinking, hey, maybe we can't take these guys. But again, they weren't, they didn't take any of them out. And so uh, there was no cause to question the, the bandits' morale in this particular encounter. Um, so it, it, I call it a technical TPK when there isn't a TPK, but everybody's either left of, but everybody's left at the mercy of uh, the bad guys. But since they had been telling them to surrender from the beginning because they wanted to, I think they're wanting to question them. Um, I think that that we've got something planned where, um, you know, the, the they they were sort of spared at the last minutes for questioning by the. Uh, by, um, well, we'll see, because that'll be part of when they uh, go to the second level of the moat house into the dungeons below. Uh, again, I, I don't think it was particularly uh, it, so much bad tactics. It was just bad, <laughs> bad, bad dice. Again, the dice just turned on them, which can happen. I do think I, I, I would like to, to note, I mean, you know, people were like, oh, man, we're dying. Everybody, you know, everybody's a good sport about it, but we're kind of laughing and then. A little frustrated, but laughing, and, and I kind of said, "Welcome to, welcome to Gary Gygax's Dungeons and Dragons." Um, because I would like to note that when Goodman Games converted Temple of Elemental Evil to Fifth Edition, they didn't change anything about the dungeon design or the number of monsters or the types of monsters in the encounter. I mean, if you're fifth level adventurers fighting bandits, you're fighting bandits from the Monster Manual. But there's the same number of bandits with the same kind of armor and weapons that was in the original module. If you're fighting a giant lizard, um, you're fighting a giant lizard from the 5e monster manual, but it's still the giant lizard that was there in the AD&D module. And, um, the only thing that Goodman Games has added is when there was a monster that doesn't have a corresponding thing like the giant tick, which they didn't encounter. Um, they had to kind of homebrew home, home that or studio brew that. For, for for their conversion, but they made a point of that in the introduction of saying, you know, we didn't try to balance these encounters along typical 5th edition design principles. We just swapped them out for the 5th edition equivalent of the monsters and the chips fall where they may, may fall out. Um, and I want to bring that up. I know I've mentioned it before because also, yeah, I'm recording this on Sunday. Uh, last night, I played in the... the 5th edition Salt Marsh game I've played, and at this point we're 8th level. Um, there's been a couple times where the Paladin I'm playing has gotten pretty close to dying and uh, has gone below zero hit points a couple times and had to be pulled out of the fire and, and healed. Um, but we're kind of nearing the end. We're 8th we're level characters, and we got into a skirmish with not, not really a boss fight monster. Um, and... You know, my character is the paladin is probably the most physically resilient. I got pretty close. I, th- I think I was on the verge, uh, but the ranger in the party died. Eighth level, fifth edition ranger died in this kind of skirmish with just sort of, you know, kind of typical. Well, I think what would have been probably considered a balanced encounter. I don't know if I don't know if wizards rebalanced encounters when they did salt marsh or not. But I, I just need to say that it's still the salt marsh series and so we're we're on the third the third in the series the final the final enemy and um it's still designed and laid out very much like the AD&D module as far as I can tell again so I think when 5th edition gets this 
reputation of the higher survivability. There's a little bit of truth to that, but I think it's maybe overstated in that if you run the things Wizards, the original stuff, now Salt Marsh is a conversion of an AD&D module, but if you run their completely from scratch modules, I think they tip the scales in favor of the players because they want a player to be able to play through the whole module from first level to the end with the same character. They want it to be amenable to the drop-in, drop-out style of play you get with Adventurer's League. And so I think they do put their thumb on their scales with their completely in-house modules in favor of the characters versus if you run it more as written, if you were just to cobble something together with the Monster Manual and the DMG, and particularly if you bring that sort of traditional AD&D TSR style of encounter and, and, and dungeon design to it, I don't think 5th edition is quite the cakewalk some people might think it is. Again, I mean, it is a little, yeah, the part, it is, characters are a little tougher. Still very vulnerable at first, second level, and then, then they start to, to become a little, you know, tougher and, and harder to kill. But I, again, 8th level characters, one one dead and one nearly dead um, from what should have been more just kind of a skirmish as we're on our way to the, the boss fight, I think. So, um uh, yeah, I guess your mileage may vary depending on on kind of the the approach the the dungeon master and the the game designer takes to a a fifth edition um, campaign. Anyway, that is it for the Temple of Elemental Evil for now. So I decided to call this episode the uh, Moat House Massacre. Um, <laughs> the OSE group kind of massacred the bandits, and then, then the, the 5e group got massacred by the bandits. Again, for the for the, some of the reasons I explained before, I don't think, in, in retrospect, the, the, the game is working just as well with both edition, with both groups. Everybody's having fun. I, the mechanics and the procedures of, of, of uh, getting through a, a battle or, or, or dealing with a trap or, or anything or something like that, that's pretty much... It, it's just flavor. I mean, the, the the adventure is running as it runs pretty well with both groups across both editions. So, um, you know, I don't think the different outcomes in how we're going to, how we wrapped up the first level of the Moat House has anything to do with which edition was being used or which group of players were playing. It was more just the way the dice fell out and, you know, the, the ups and downs of did you go through the front door or the side door? Did you leave and come back when did you leave they both left and come back but when did they leave and come back you know it's just the randomness that makes a lot of D&D interesting um so uh, I'll leave it at that and I'll come back once both groups have kind of gotten to a comparable place that I can report out on their additional adventures in Hamlet and the Moat House and the surrounding environment Take care out there. I appreciate everybody listening. Thanks again to Carl Rodriguez, particularly for his call for this show. And I'll be back later. Thanks for listening to the Arcane Alienist podcast. The music you're hearing is Come and Get It by Scott Holmes Music. The cover art I use for the episodes is by Dave Bone. Be sure and check out his website, ironseer.com, for a lot of other great gaming-related content. You can always leave me a voice message through the Anchor app or at the Anchor website, or you can email me at arcane.alienist at gmail.com. 
Once again, I appreciate you listening. Thanks so much.